This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Total Saints podcast. This is our weekly get-together with some Saints experts to discuss all things Southampton Football Club. As always, we're streaming our podcast on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter and Twitch. So if you're watching along live on Sunday evening, you can leave your comments for the panel as we go. Coming up on this week's pod, a disappointing defeat at Wolves on Saturday. It was very much back down to earth for Saints after they came from behind to record a rare home win against Chelsea earlier in the week. So we'll look back at both those games. The transfer window closed on Thursday and it was a busy one for Saints. There's plenty to discuss there with two men who had a very busy evening. And we're going to be back at home this weekend with the visit of Brentford to St Mary's, so we're going to preview that game as well. I'm Martin Stark, and I'm joined this week by Steve Grant, who's the owner of Saints Web. Glenda LaCour is the writer of the blog League One Minus Ten. Alfie House is the Saints reporter for the Southern Daily Echo. And Jacob Tanswell is the dedicated Southampton reporter for The Athletic. Underpinned by our TSP patrons, this is episode 206 of the Total Saints podcast. Your home for everything Southampton FC. From dedicated Saints insight to exclusive interviews. Live on YouTube every Sunday and available to download wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is the Total Saints Podcast. Now, it would have been the perfect end to the perfect week, but it wasn't to be at Molyneux. The most bizarre handball that you'll ever see from Che Adams denied Saints a point as Wolves went on to win 1-0. Glenn, going to start with you this week. How do you see the game yesterday? Big chance missed against a team that we should be beating? It's the same every year, isn't it? I think we mentioned it last week that every time we go out there, we look at their team and think, well, that's not that special on paper. We should be able to get something there. And we never do. It's frustration seems to be the word that's come out lots and lots of times in all the interviews that I've seen, both with Ralph and uh, certain players. And um, that's how it felt for me. You know, their goal was down to us losing the ball and then the, the cover defence not doing its job properly. And the guy 
bobbled it in at the far post. Um, so there was a, a large element of luck with that as well. Luck certainly didn't even itself out with the uh, catastrophic uh, <laughs> miss by uh, Shay Adams at the other end, which is um, which is mind blowing. I mean, that's going to be in. Uh, I don't know if Danny Baker still makes a compilation DVD. He doesn't think he does the DVDs at Christmas anymore. Yeah, it's um, <laughs> it, it would certainly be one that's on there to sort of like go up for a header and miss the ball and punch it in the net. Um, I just thought it was kind of a scruffy finish. You know, you see it the first time, you think, oh, okay, he sort of chested that in or something, and then the referee disallows it, and you see Chay Adams' face, and you 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 know that he knows <laughs> straight away that he's um he's he's um he's knocked it in with his arm. So it is frustrating not to get anything out of it. It's particularly frustrating because Wolves really aren't all that. They're a little bit more attacking than they have been. Oh, they looked a little bit more attacking than they have been in previous years, played better football and stuff. It's still annoying as hell to not get anything out of that game and got ahead of the curve, if you like, with the with the win against Chelsea. This was kind of a, even that up. So it would have been, uh, even to get a point would have been a very good result, but uh, disappointing to get beat. Yeah, I think, Steve, you said you'd be happy with two points at the end of the week. So, I mean, obviously we'll get on to the Chelsea game later, but what did you make of, of yesterday? Just a, another opportunity to, to push on this? Yeah, I mean, kind of the same sort of thing as Glenn, really. It was, yeah, they were they were kind of there for the taking in, in many respects. And while, I mean, you look at the stats from the game and basically it's it's two teams that are pretty mediocre in front of goal in terms of taking chances that come their way. Three shots on target in the whole game and I think both sides had a dozen shots. So yeah, that's a pretty pathetic uh, conversion rate, really. And even their goal is, I mean, he's, I mean, he could he could hit that finish again a hundred times, and every other time the keeper throws his cap on it. It's that weaker finish, and yet, yeah, I'm not quite sure how Bazunu's got himself wrong footed. I don't know whether he's maybe come one step too close to the near post, maybe, and his body weight's going the other way. He's kind of been surprised by the weird bounce that Podence has put on it unintentionally because he's completely it's basically come off his studs, doesn't it? I think so. Yeah, frust- frustrating defensively, but. I mean, I thought we were all right in a game that never really came to life. But I mean, games between us rarely do. It's always a bit of a sort of war of attrition at times, especially the way that a lot of their players, I mean, you you go and breathe near them and they're down, writhing in agony, beating the turf as if someone's put five bullets in their back. It can often be very stop-start when when we play them. We seem to struggle a little bit with the frustration of that. We we don't seem to channel it very well, kind of lack composure at times, which I guess is to be to be expected when you do have such a young team. You'd like to think that over time we would iron that out and it's it's not quite coming yet. As I say, we we were all right. We created we created enough to have got something out of that game. File it under one of those games, as you say, three points from from the two games when as I said, I'd have I'd have taken two two terrible draws. So we've got one great win and one slightly irritating defeat. Yeah, um, so we're, we're we're a point up on that. That's fine. Mark's watching on YouTube. He says if you if you were a neutral, you'd been putting the kettle on a lot during that game yesterday. I switched over. Uh, <laughs> we've got Jacob and Alfie both with us this week because there's so much to discuss. Jacob, I come to you first on this one. Were the players just disappointed? Was that the general sort of feel after the, the match yesterday, after the final whistle? Because uh, they, they certainly they gave it everything they could. Yeah, they were, and you can't fault their bravery or you know their commitment. I think I asked Ralph the first question just to sum up the game, and he took five or six seconds to you know, to actually respond because he, he was as disappointed as anyone else. And I said last week about Eli Yanusi and he needs to be nastier. And I thought his decision-making that first half, I don't want to go too much in, in on him or criticise him too heavily. But I think he just set the tone, the way he turned down, you know, relatively straightforward passes to Adam Armstrong, to Shea Adams. 
and he just played safe. And I think that just summed up the lack of incision throughout the, the afternoon, really. Southampton gave it everything. They threw caution to the wind for the last 35 minutes, really. Uh, really brave on the front foot, but they just lacked that killer killer edge, really. And, of course, Shea Adams, everyone's going to look at him and say he could have got an equaliser, but I was quite concerned that even in the last 15 minutes, they lost their way. And I would expect Southampton to create a lot more chances, given Wolves were sitting back and Slams were the ones in the ascendancy. So a lot of disappointment, really. I think it, come, it keeps coming back to that point of they lack a striker. But one good thing is that they are playing with a lot of cohesion. They do look like they understand the shape. I keep saying that. I think the 4-3-3 or however you want to say it, it works. So there's a lot more positives taken out from this week than there are negatives. Okay. I mean, you don't want to go in on Eli Nusi, but I think Glenn will in the moment. So <laughs> don't, get don't worry. Uh, you can just sit there and nod. Alfie, it was a, a tight game, wasn't it? And it, it could have gone either way, really. There wasn't a lot between the two sides, to be fair. Yeah, I don't think it's anything to be particularly concerned about. All round, it was probably a pretty miserable away day for everybody. We, we've sort of spoken about how Wolves isn't the most fun place to go. You know, me and Jake had a nightmare trying to get there, trying to get back. I think it was one of those ones that you can just write off pretty quickly. That being said, there were positives. You know, Fan Dabby Dozy or Samuel Dozy, I thought yeah. he came on and was a bright spark. I thought James Ward-Prowse had a good game. But yeah, the, the feeling was disappointment, you know, frustrated. They missed a chance to get a point. But I think Steve and Glenn have touched on it. Chelsea on Tuesday was so good that you were already up on what you expected from this week. Um, I spoke to Mohamed Salisu after and he sort of echoed those thoughts. You know, and I, He's somebody actually that I would mention. I thought we had a really good game, Mohamed Salisu. I think he's had a really good game three or four games in a row now. And I think that's somebody that Southampton really missed. You know, when he was playing poorly, they were a, a shambles at the back. He started to play well, and he's got better coach up next to him yet, who, who was a good signing. But I think Salas, who's the the glue, the the new firefighter, if you will, now that Jan Bednarek's gone to Villa. To a bigger club, of course, as he said uh, in his in his interview. Yeah, Glenn, do you want to talk about the the number ten? So twice, like Elanusi, he, he had the ball with the dangerous areas, and he just took that extra touch. He's he's missing that killer pass, isn't he? And when Stuart Armstrong came on, you kind of felt a bit of a change in direction. Uh, absolutely. Um, I mean, Stuart Armstrong was behind all of the better work in the second half. That you know the the chances for Adams. Both, I think, came with sort of heavy involvement from him and uh, he was brought down on the edge of the box for one where Prousey hit the free kick into the wall. I don't know whether it's the starter and finisher thing that we sort of touched on a few weeks ago where Ralph sees Elianusi as better at the start of a game because he you know, he holds his position more. And we're going to talk about the Chelsea game. Elianusi had a good game there, mainly without the ball, it has to be said. Yeah, my issue with him is that he's he's too slow to do things. He's just He just doesn't quite seem to be at the pace of the game. He's not the quickest over in a sprint race over 15, 20 yards or whatever. But he also doesn't seem to be, the to me, the, the quickest to release the ball. And that was a, a, a classic example on uh, in the first half yesterday where by the time he got around to releasing the ball, Adams was desperately trying to stay on side. And then by the time he did release the ball, the angles had all changed and, and the, the whole thing got snuffed out. So, yeah, we still have issues at number 10. Adam Armstrong, again, great against Chelsea. But I thought he regressed a little bit in the in the game yesterday. But then, the, you know, the positive was Idozi coming on, who looks to have a crazy amount of talent and uh, and confidence in the same way that Romeo Lavia has. So, uh, yeah, still is, still issues at number 10. And But, I mean, what I took from the game yesterday is that Idozi's got a really good chance of making a name for himself there because I know it's been mentioned, and I'm sure the boys are going to mention it later, about what, you know, the transfer window and stuff and that he's not thought of as immediately in the first team. But I think he's got a really good chance simply because that's the area of the team that that is seems to be a little bit less strong, shall we say, than all the others. 
Mm. Steve, just on the game yesterday, were you surprised there weren't more changes given the the Chelsea game on Tuesday night? Do you think a player, some of the players, looked a little bit leggy or towards the end? Possibly, but then there's, I guess there's there's also the thought of where you reward the players that have played well and they keep their spot, and it's a it's a meritocracy at the end of the day. So I wasn't hugely surprised, and also don't forget we'd had a day extra rest than Wolves with their relatively shallow squad. They were never going to be making wholesale changes themselves the sort of fitness and stamina issue shouldn't have been that much of a factor for us, I don't think. We look young enough and fit enough that actually playing three sort of intense games a week might not be too much of an issue for most of them. The only one I disagree with is is Perot because he didn't have a he didn't have a preseason. So I thought he looked like he was blowing a little bit um in the in the second half in particular. But Yeah, I thought I thought Gineppo might have started. He's demonstrated that he can play that position now. Seems to have seems to have worked out what, what it is he needs to do to, to be competent as an actual fullback as opposed to a wing back. And as you say, Perro went off on Tuesday night. So he's obviously not got understandably not got ninety in him yet. I kind of thought that uh, Ralph might sw- swap those two around, but obviously it wasn't to be in the end. And Jacob, I know you're one of his, his biggest fans. How much did we miss Lavia on, on Saturday? Because he's just been epic, hasn't he? And I know that you've been writing about this and waxing lyrical about him, and, and, and it really showed that he was missing already what a what a key player he could be. Certainly, I think it's been both in and out of possession, because in possession, you know, he's press resistant, he can get the ball, he can transfer the ball through the lines. And I think you saw in the first half now, Ibrahim Diallo got caught on the ball several times, Wolves continue to um, attack on transition, continue to counter-attack. And Diallo's job in that role, you know, he's played, he played a little bit deeper than he has in pre-season because obviously Lavi has been in there, so he's played a bit further forward. And it, the onus was on him to be the number six to stop those counter-attacks. And I don't think he did. And that's why I don't feel Southampton ever really got control of the game. They never really had a sustained period of possession where they kept Wolves back. So I think it was a huge opportunity for Diallo, really, to cement that place, to keep Ainsley Maitland-Niles at bay. And he didn't do it. And I think it just showed that Romeo Lavia being injured, Oriol Romeo as well to go into Girona. All of a sudden, it's time to look a little bit fragile in there if Maitland-Niles doesn't adapt quickly. So, yeah, Romeo Lavia is a huge miss and just hope he recovers uh, quicker than six weeks. And Alfie, one of the criticisms of Ralph last year was the the lack of subs, the lack of change in the formation. But yesterday, I think he made all five subs and they all seem to make an impact. So he, he's willing to change things. He's willing to listen to the bench and, and that could be key for us. He is, yeah. And we speak about this every week. Um, he made all five subs. He made two of them by 55 minutes, another two, 10, 15 minutes later. He tried three different formations, you know, starting in this new 4-2-3-1 that they've been using in the last couple of games. He then switched to, uh, I think it was more of a 4-3-3 and then a 4 2 by the end of the game. And nothing seemed to work for him, you know, in terms of the end product. Uh, but ultimately, I think the changes, they created chances, just not clear-cut enough ones. And, you know, we, we know about the a couple of clear-cut chances in terms of Che Adams, the crossbar and the handball. It could have all been so different. I think you have to credit you know, Ralph and the coaches that they are agile, they are willing to change in game. You know, and again, we say every week we don't know who's in Ralph's here, whether it is Ruben Sellers, who's now leading set pieces as well. So he's taken on his uh, extra workload, and you can see him in the technical area. People love to see him in the technical area as well. Whenever you put anything out about that, people go crazy for it. They think he's the best signing of the summer. And, you know, <laughs> you know maybe, maybe it'll prove to be true. Uh, Glenn, you, I think you mentioned the set pieces last week, didn't you? You were talking about the set pieces and how we just look a bit more organised and a bit more of a, a threat this year. Yeah, I mean, def- defensively, we had, we had a bit of a mare against Leeds, didn't we? But I, I don't feel the same sense of horror that I did last year when we were defending free kicks that were taken from anywhere our side of the halfway line. We seem to have one tactic last year, which was to line up, stand still, and hope to hell that someone was offside. We seem to have evolved a little bit there. It's, it's down to having a better centre-half pairing. 
they can both run, they can both jump, and they can both head the ball. And that's that just makes a huge difference. You've got two dominant players in there, which we haven't had for a long, long time. And we're going to get onto all the players that we've shipped out in a minute. Mm. So, uh, but but attack, attacking wise, yeah, I mean we we saw it. What was the game? It was the Leicester game, wasn't it? With the the long throw and Che Adams peeling off of Bella Kotchap, wasn't it? That was obviously rehearsed. Yeah. So hopefully, um, hopefully we can get a bit more um, a bit more from those. And uh, yeah, we need Prousey to get back to the levels that he was last year. With not his, happening uh, at the moment. His, is it? It's, it's, not, it's not quite happening at the moment. Not now. even the corners. Uh, yeah, the the corners have been a bit disappointing as well, considering, as I say, we've got those. Mind you, he did put over a really good one yesterday, and Bella Kotchap, you know, he's got to score that. F- fluffed a free That's header. Ten yards out, free header. He, you know, for a for a guy who spends all day heading footballs, probably <laughs> he's got to score. He's got to score that. That was that that was poor. So, but that that's the that's the thing with being a creative player, isn't it? You can lay an assist on a plate, but if someone miss if someone then misses it, you don't get you don't get the credit for it. So, uh, so no, I don't think there's anything too much to worry about with uh, with Prowse. And you you know with him that he'll he'll work every day. He's got the right attitude. He'll work every day to uh, to try and put right whatever's slightly out. But uh, yeah. Well, on Tuesday, we had a result that almost none of us saw come in. Just one of the panel correctly predicting that, but we'll get on to that in a minute. Uh, under the lights at St Mary's, uh, Saints recover from going a goal down to record a, well, I would say famous 2-1 win over Chelsea. Steve, it was long overdue. It's been a while. We've played them 17 times at St Mary's and this was only our second win against them. So, uh, yeah, massively overdue. And, I mean, to be honest, in a lot of those games, we've not even been close. I mean, last season was a fairly six, extreme example. Wasn't it? Was it but, six, like, yeah. but even like even when they've been sort of running away with titles and stuff, it's been like a, one of those sort of 2-0 wins that champions tend to grind out at, at lower division teams where they just eventually break through, get the second goal and then just shut up shop and see the game out with, with little fun. Us. But yeah, we were at them. And I mean, to be fair, I actually thought Chelsea were really good first half an hour. They got between the lines quite a lot and Sterling was causing us all kinds of problems because he was he was sort of darting between the lines in the channels between Salasu and Perrault. And yeah, we, we it kind of looked as if ooh, we're, we're, in a, we're in a spot of bother unless we kind of shut this down somehow. And actually, the way it was weird that we basically shut it down as soon as they scored, because basically straight after they scored, all of a sudden they weren't doing the same as what they they weren't making the same runs. They were kind of passing in crowded areas, and and we were, we were managing to nick the ball off their toes and things like that. And I don't know whether that was something we did or something they did. Kind of difficult to assess, but certainly we got ourselves back on the front foot. One excellent finish for the equaliser where, I mean, Chelsea should should deal with that better defensively. Not quite sure Aspilicueta needed to put it out for a corner in the first place. And then he shanks the shanks the attempt to clearance straight to, straight to Lavia. I thought it was interesting on match of the day, actually. They, I think Ian Wright it was, picked up on Sterling's defensive positioning. He was only concentrating on... Um, one uh, of some, the two. Yeah, one of them. So yeah. we had two players outside the area uh, waiting for the waiting for the waiting either a knockdown or a clearance. And he was only concentrating on the one kind of nearest the kicker. Obviously, wasn't paying enough attention to uh, Lavia behind him. And obviously, that's exactly where the ball ends up falling. So Sterling's positioning was about five yards out, I think. And that basically made the difference. But it's a great finish from from that position. And the power he puts on it without lashing at the ball. 
Um, he's not gone to hit it with any power. It's just the way he's hit it with his instep, bent it around the defender, just gives the keeper absolutely no chance. I saw saw someone win someone on um, on Twitter saying, "Oh, um, Mendy's got to do better with with that." It's like you <laughs> see how hard he's hit it, and it's and it's come round three defenders. He can't see it. Somebody moaning on Twitter. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> who, who'd have thought it? Um, but that was it was a great finish. And Glenn, I mean, you called it, but even you must have been a little bit surprised at the result. Nah. Yeah, I was <laughs> amazed. I was, I was amazed. I mean, especially when we went 1-0 down, I thought, oh, we're going to get gubbed here again. It's going to be the normal the normal Chelsea. It'll be 2-0 at half-time, and then that'll, that'll be the end of that. But yeah, like with the Leicester game, as, as Steve said, the, the conceding the goal just seemed to be the sort of kick up the backside we needed. I don't know. I mean, their supporters certainly thought the game was done because they made a bit of noise for the first 20 minutes. And then it was almost like they sat back thinking, well, this is this is going to be easy. We're just going to roll them over now. Maybe the team did the same thing. I don't know. But as Steve said, they stopped doing the things that had caused us problems in the in the first 20. And we stepped up a gear. Um, it was, we bullied them as well, didn't we? Yeah. I mean, for me, it was the, it was the, I mean, you know, Che Adams, obviously, he's going to get stick this weekend for that miss against Wolves. But I thought he had an absolutely brilliant game against Chelsea. You were right talking about the, first, the nasty side to his game, yeah, weren't you? Which is right, good to see. And, right from the first minute, he, he almost picked up Thiago Silva, who's won more trophies than practically anybody else, and was just almost throwing him around. And it was just tremendous. And that Koulibaly couldn't, he, he didn't fancy it either. And I, Che Adams, I thought, had a, had a fantastic game. And, and that really set the tone for how we got back into the game and, and ultimately won it. And what was most impressive for me was in the second half, I never felt, I mean, you, you were always a bit nervous because you, you're just expecting at some point someone's going to make do something silly and we'll let it go in. But looking back now, I never really felt like Chelsea were, were going to score. Um, and I came away from the game thinking that's possibly the worst Chelsea side I've seen come down here yeah. for quite a long time. And you could tell that Tuchel wasn't happy from the way that, you know, he had his starting lineup. I think he bought on four subs by the hour mark. People like Loftus-Cheek and G- Jorginho, they went and Mason Mount started squinting around and um, <laughs> what a shame. And uh, it, it hasn't taken that Mark Cucurella long to be infected by the big club virus, has it? Every time he didn't get a decision, it was like the toys were going out and all this sort of stuff. So we turned that around and, and they, they started feeling sorry for themselves. And it was... Absolutely tremendous win and totally deserved. My mentality still from last season to a certain extent because I spent the last half hour going, well, the point's okay. You know, two all's all right. This is fine. I just didn't expect <laughs> us to, to see it out. I'm like, this is different now, isn't it? And Alfie, that's it's all about that show of character again, which we, we've talked about before. But but then coming back from being a goal, they're not collapsing at the moment and they've got that belief that they can get back into a game and, and go on and win it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that will get, that's you know what gave us a belief on Saturday as well. All seven points have come from losing positions, as we all know. I think when you look at the possession, I think so they only had sort of 32% of the ball that game, but they limited Chelsea to six or seven shots, you know, let alone on target. I think that's testament to how high they kept them up the pitch. And, you know, that is, you know, it's, it's, it's Lavia, it's Diallo, who I thought played really well. It's Romain Perot, who, who played really well in that game as well. And that was the big thing for me. It was all of these players who were on the fringe of the team. They were, you know, getting back to fitness or trying to prove themselves. So Diallo, Perot, El Yunusi, they all played really well on the ball and off the ball. And then that's why it was disappointing that on Saturday they were the ones that perhaps didn't play so well. But I think also didn't Chelsea line up in Ralph's four triple two as well? Um, you know, as I mean, Ralph and Thomas obviously know each other very well. Um, I think Ralph must have had a game plan for that. He knows his formation inside and out. And then when Thomas came and spoke to us after the match, 
And I think somebody asked him if he if it proves that he needs a striker, and he gave them a very bitey answer. It's like this is not the question to be asking me now. Yeah, this is not what's on my mind. You know, and you can see that he was touchy and he was frustrated. And I think that yeah, you have to you have to credit Southampton for that. Good to see. It's great to see. Jacob, what was your highlight of the the Chelsea game? It probably was Bella Kotchap's slide tackle in that first half because okay, the slide tackle was really good, but it was just the at the body position to cut out that pass. We couldn't square it, and he had to force him into a position position where he could get that slide tackle. And I just thought he showed so much intelligence because for a young centre back, when you're two v one, the initial instinct is just go and commit, just a slide tackle, and then there's an easy pass where he can square it, and he's got an empty empty net to shoot in. Where he just slowed us feet down jockey and then the perfect timing just um, delivered that slide tackle and it was it was excellent and I think he's been you know Bella Koch has been probably my pick of the squad really I did expect him to be this finely tuned already I, I've looked at him before we came and I thought he's gonna be very raw he might take half a season a season to get to grips with his positioning with the tempo you know in possession what he's required to do and everything about him so, uh, so far it's just been really refined of course he's gonna have dips but I think Santos' pool of centre backs, which I'm sure we'll come on to with Benrick and Stevens going, looks a lot more looks a lot better, and it looks certainly more suited to the way Ralph wants to play in terms of his centre backs occupying a lot of space, and you know Benrick and Stevens not having to scramble back towards their own goal and getting outpaced by most people. So overall, yeah, Bella Kotchak was was a standout for me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's get on to deadline day, shall we? Because there is a lot to get through here. The transfer window closed on Thursday. Saints recruiting, we think, 10 new summer signings, spending somewhere between 80 and £90 million. Pounds. Obviously, Jacob and Alfie were busy on Thursday all day. And then Friday, I think the only person that was busy might have been Ross Barkley's agent with all his Twitter accounts trying to sort of generate a bit of interest. We did a little poll on our Twitter and we asked um, everyone to rate the transfer window. 47% of people gave it um, a 9 out of 10. That was the clear winner. So a lot of people really impressed with the business we've done. Steve, I'm going to come to you first. Just your thoughts on the the window and and those that have come in and those that have gone out. How did the whole day work out for you? Were you happy come 11 o'clock on on Thursday night? Yeah, very happy. I think, yeah, I mean, we, we spoke at length sort of back end of last season about how we always kind of thought there was there was talent hidden within that squad it kind of always felt that it needed a bit of a refresh Fort Republic have put their money where their mouth is and have delivered that refresh and to get that many new players over the line who I mean potentially all of those could play in the first team this season it's not like uh, obviously those the two most recent ones from City I guess there was probably possibly an in, initial thought that okay maybe they're not they're they're going to be sort of in the B team and for the first sort of two or three months and then maybe after the World Cup they might get sort of eased in and play in some of the cup games and things like that but um, no they're both straight onto the first team bench and Dozy look looks like he could have could have something about him already um, which is uh, kind of mildly terrifying that he's he's I think he's played has he played a senior game for City. I think he played Charity Shield, didn't he, maybe? The depth that we now have, and we don't look as if we've got that many passengers. I mean, obviously, there's the the obvious sort of Walcott situation where, realistically, I don't think he was ever going to be found somewhere else just because of the just because of the wages. Obviously, Redmond was was linked to Bournemouth, but that was never. I don't think that was ever really going to be going to be a deal that could get done unless they were going to give us a fee, which I just don't think they don't think Bournemouth have the money at the moment. The in, the incomings all look, all look very good. Um, the outgoings, I think the vast majority, most of us are quite happy with. The, the Romeo one, I think, is the only one that I think will be judged at Christmas in terms of whether we were right to still allow that deal to go through, given obviously the injury that happened 
two nights earlier. I think once you've already committed to saying to the guy, yeah, look, giving us seven years great service, we're not going to stand in your way because we know that you want to play every week. I don't mind that we've got that attitude. That video um, was a bit emotional though, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. But ultimately that's that's the right way to behave. If you've got I mean it's not it's not as if um it's not as if we're basically giving him away for pennies. We've we've presumably got got some reasonable money in for him and it's probably sweetened the deal with City for the for the two kids as well. Did you see he got booked on his debut and ended up with some, some staples yeah. in the back of his yeah. head? Um yeah, I mean it's like strong well, debut. Just, just peak peak Romeo, wasn't it? Um I, I I hope he tried to hit a shot from thirty five yards and hit the corner flag as well. Don't go changing. <laughs> Uh, Glenn, um, maintenance Niles, Glenn was an interesting one because, of course, we tried to get in before, and I kind of got the <laughs> feeling that we were we were snubbed for West Brom, and that didn't really work out. So they've gone yeah. back in. So part of me thinks this is obviously someone that Ralph's had his eye on for a while and at a target that we pursued. Part of me thought, well, you know, do we? You've missed a chance, every, mate. <laughs> every transfer window, there's all these players linked to us you know, on various accounts. And my, my son always comes down and goes, what about this? And I, I give him usually 10 reasons why I think it's rubbish <laughs> and why it won't happen. It's like... Um, Rudy Scatchel. Yeah, it's like the... Well, I mean, the one this this window has been this Cody Gakpo guy, mm. doesn't it? Who, you know, for me, was never going to sign for us. But, I mean, I'm sure the, the guys know a lot more about that story than I do. But for me, it was just like too much too much money and too high profile a player. So I, I did I never saw that one happening. Maitland Nars, as I said last week, um, shows how much I know. I got proved completely wrong there. I didn't think um I didn't think the the reasons that he didn't join us last time um I thought would stop him joining this time. But I think I read in one of Jacob's pieces in the Athletic about how he's kind of softened his stance about being a cover sort of fullback um, should it be needed. And and that was, we were led to believe, the main reason why he joined West Brom last time because they sort of promised him to play in, in, in centre and midfield and get relegated. So uh, so that's what he did. <laughs> uh, so uh, maybe, you know, he's probably got a, a bit more humility about things it, with it being a couple of years on. Um, and uh, I'd be very, very surprised if he's not if he's not starting the next game. Um, given how the the midfield didn't really perform against Wolves, so uh, so happy with him. And um, yeah, I mean he's 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 got. I didn't realize quite how much experience he had. I kind of thought he's one of these players that you you saw playing for Arsenal when he was eighteen, and then you've you've hardly heard of him since. But I, I didn't even know he'd been out and played for Roma, and um, I think he'd been to someone else after West Brom as well. So he's 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 played some games, and he's a. Uh, He's a big physical lad. He showed in the um, in the in the last sort of ten minutes against Wolves that he's got a bit of defensive nous about him because he um, just seemed to be in the right place to clear one particular cross out from under the six yard line, sort of thing. So uh, yeah, so looking looking forward to seeing him play. I mean, because he's because he's basically a defensive player. I'd be interested to see what he adds, sort of like going forward. But I imagine that he's if he does play, he's gonna he's gonna sit in the um, in the Oriol Romeo position really and and allow Prousey to go and do. A few more bits and pieces. So uh, yeah, happy with him, and and I I agree with Steve. I'm I'm happy with the players they brought in. Um, you know, Kaleta Char I thought looked good in the Euros when he played for Croatia. You know, there's no need to rush him into the team because the two guys are are, are playing well at the moment. But he's he's better than the three centre backs we've got rid of. So um, happy days, and and all the players that have left, with the possible exception of Romeo, I, I don't think we I don't think we're going to miss in terms no. of the the first team this season. Romeo keeping him. He still would have been useful this season, but he would probably have only played 10 or 15 games. 
and we'd have been getting into the realms of sentimentality. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, because last year we were talking about yeah. the sentimentality stuff and yeah. you know, bringing Walcott back, giving Shane Long another year, keeping these players around for the sake of having it. And Calvin actually, Davis, having Calvin Davis as a coach for five years. And never get, works out, does it? You, no, I mean, you, don't, you, don't, you don't get anything out of that. So, no, uh, so no, no. I think it was, the, it was the right move to uh, let him go back to Catalonia, where he's from. If you're watching live, by the way, I'd be interested to see your marks out of 10 for the, the transfer window and who you're most excited about seeing for the rest of the season. Um, Jacob, I'm going to come to you about the two young lads from Man City. I think Steve touched on it then, but perhaps the Romeo deal just helped to to grease those wheels a little bit and, and get that one over the line. Yeah, it did. And obviously, we were left under the impression after the Chelsea game when Navi got injured that he probably would stay. And then we decided to put that article out or the news piece out the next day in terms of, no, the Romeo thing's still on because one because of Oriol Romeo wanting to leave and Ralph said he wouldn't stand in his way, them being firm tennis partners, but also because of the Girona deal of being part of the City group, you know, greasing the wheels almost. So I think it was like, we'll let you have this these City youngsters if you let, you know, our sister team have Oriol Romeo. So I think it worked out for all parties. And you know, like you say earlier on, Samuel Doozy looks real fine. And I think it was so important that Slampton got that winger in because if you're playing this system, you need the out-and-out out wing, especially if Nathan Redmond's going to go to Turkey in the next couple of days and Theo Walcott's out of favour. And Alfie, just on the Coletta Char, the, sort of the final edition, if you like, that was one we knew, I think, earlier in the day you were saying about they were looking to bring in another centre-back. It all depended on who went out. But to a certain extent, that was quite a, a last-minute decision, that one. Yeah, yeah, you're right, because the other three we expected the day before, we knew that you know, Maitland-Niles, Sadozi and Laros were going to be joining. That was just waiting for paperwork. Um Coletta Carr is somebody who I've seen linked to a number of clubs over the last couple of years. So it's like Glenn says, when you see Cody Gakpo, it's one of those ones you think, well, they're not going to join Southampton. You know, they'll, they'll find a, a West Ham or something and it will, it will spoil our day. But to actually get it over the line, I thought it was, it's a really impressive deal. And I think Glenn's right. Yeah, there's no need to rush him in. The two centre-backs right now are playing really well. But I think it's more about the outgoings that I was sort of really not surprised by, but impressed by. Jan Valery did surprise me, actually. I know that some people have different opinions when it comes to Yangs. They've seen him play for two or three years, but I thought in the last year he'd actually progressed quite well. I thought Ralph liked him a lot. So for him to leave not only on a loan, but on a permanent basis on the last day of the window was a bit of a surprise. And yeah, to get rid of Stevens and Bednarek, um, you know, rules of respect to them for good careers, but happy to move on from them now, for sure. Yeah, and, and Jacob, I'm just going to, um, I know you were helping out with the Bournemouth stuff during the week, but, uh, just to talk about Stevens and that loan. Um, obviously, he watched their game, didn't he, on the, the, was it the Wednesday night? And then the stuff around Redmond, they just didn't seem to want to stump up some money or were they just hoping that we would give him away and drive him down there? Yeah, so with Jack Stevens, Simon Francis, the assistant head of recruitment, was at the United game. So I think that's when they first started putting feelers out about Jack Stevens. Of course, Southampton wanted to sell him. I think it you know, I look at the window and I think they could have really moved Benerick and Stevens on permanently, could have got Walker and Redmond up soon. I think that would have been an ideal, but they needed a centre-back. Of course, Bournemouth haven't really got too much money to invest in, so I think a loan suited them. Salamta just thought, let's get Jack Stevens off our books. He's not in the squad. Perhaps relationships are a little bit fractured now. Just move him on. It'll be better for the first-team environment. So that was um, relatively straightforward. I think they're paying the majority of his wages as well. So that's good for Salamton. In terms of Nathan Redmond, it's a strange one because he's one of the highest earners at, at the Samson. And it's similar to... <laughs> similar, it's, that <laughs> right, it's because he, he won the player of the season, didn't he? And then they, he, got renew, he got a reward of a new contract. And I think that's yep. you know how his market value was at the time. Obviously, it's not that anymore. So well, he's, he'll, be, he'll be one of our longest serving players, yeah. I would imagine. Yeah. And I, I'm not sure. I think it's just between him and Ralph, perhaps they just thought they've worked for each other for so long, similar to Stevens and Bedrick, that they just need a clean start. They seem to be very keen to move him on throughout the summer, and I'm surprised it got to deadline day. 
of course, Bournemouth were desperate. I'm sure lots of agents were, were offering them players because they realised how desperate Bournemouth were. Nathan Remond, they thought, OK, we need a winger. You know, he's only 30 miles away. He seems perfect for us. Then they probably looked at his wage and thought, OK, we're not going to pay that. Um, do you want to terminate the agreement or do you want to pay half Salampton? And Salampton, I think, towards the end, just put the phone down. And I know a lot of reports, even towards the end of this, off the window, are saying, you know, there's still a possibility of Redmond joining Bournemouth. As far as Salampton was concerned, that was dead about half nine. That was only, for, that was only from Alex Crook, sure. Yeah, that, 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 it was dead. Salampton weren't pick, going to pick up the phone. You know, it was too late to do anything. Didn't, too many moving parts. Didn't, Bourm- didn't Bournemouth have more than 25 senior players? Or there wasn't there some issue around that? <laughs> yeah, that's 26 they, before that's why, there, didn't they? That's why Scott Parker was yeah. doing all we could to try and force players out, training the development squad, <laughs> doing anything <laughs> yeah. he wanted. <laughs> um, yeah, none of them would move. And but, I think they realised that. To be, to, be, to be fair to Redmond, he's always he always played really well against Bournemouth. Hmm. <laughs> you know that it, you know because yeah. they're not very good, but he yeah. he always played very well against them. So I I could understand them being interested in him. Um, but yeah, there you go, Alfie. Just a word on the ones that got away. There was the Ramos and and Gakpo as well. Uh, it looked like we were prepared to offer. I mean, if if the reports are true, in the region of thirty million. So it wasn't that we didn't have the money. It for whatever reason they just they just didn't get over the line. Yeah, well, and if you you've seen Adam Blackmore's report at the time, you know you believed that everything was all done and it was you know certainly possible. I went to bed uh, on the eve of the deadline day. I woke up about eight a.m. thinking there's no way things have gotten kicked off yet. Eight a.m. is a reasonable time to wake up. <laughs> yeah, you know Jacob was already on the train to London at that point, so he, he was he was well aware of what was happening. And I look up and all hell had broken loose. You know, Cody was staying at PSV. People were going, "This is a terrible window. We, we you know we need to get a backup in. What's the plan B? What's the plan B?" And I think at that point, it probably wasn't a plan B in terms of there's no point just dumping 30 million on a player that we didn't really believe in two days ago. So why would we do it now? It's a bit of a shame. And I think one of the commenters has mentioned that Che's miss obviously makes you think, oh, well, you could have a forward. But I think someone will be fine without them. You know, it's not it's not the end of the world. It's a good window anyway. I'll give it a seven or an eight, you know, mm. maybe not, not quite a nine. Um, but yeah, it's the ones that got away possibly, but we'll see what happens next summer. There's a couple of other things I want to just talk about. Uh, Jacob, one of them is uh, Tyler Dibbling returning from Chelsea because that happened on, on deadline day. None of us saw that coming and that was something we just kind of like picked up on Chelsea youth uh, announcing that they were they released him or he's returning to Southampton. Do you want to just bring us up to speed with that and what happened there? Yeah, um, he obviously moved. I think he was getting, you know, a very, very good fee or very good salary for a 16-year-old player. Of course, Newcastle were interested, and um, Chelsea at the end came up trumps. And I just think he probably just got lost in the crowd because Chelsea got a lot of young talent. He's probably difficult for a 16-year-old moving with all that expectation. People know his name. You know, that's not that's quite rare for a 16-year-old. People to from Chelsea to Newcastle or Slampton to know his name. All those stories written about him as well. So I think he, you know, immediately felt you know out of his comfort zone maybe probably something he didn't really want and yeah on Thursday I think there was a email sent around the the academy coaches saying Tyler's coming back be ready for this and uh, I think most of them are are pretty happy with it and it's probably a lesson now for other players 16 year old players don't go yet you know Slams is probably the perfect environment to learn in until you're 18 19 20 and beyond so yeah good luck to Tyler Divin hopefully he can find his feet uh, soon 
Um, Glenn, Jan Bednarek uh, going out. That was the other one. Uh, I know that we were kind of like questioning this and having a few debates around ourselves. But for me, last season when he his head wasn't in the game and he couldn't play in the yeah. the the cup. Was it the semi final or the quarter final? Quarter final. Quarter final. Yeah. And, and and he's like, oh yeah, it's a big international game at the weekend. He's not in the right place to play in the quarter final for his club that played that. For me, that was when I lost respect for him and maybe a few others yeah. did. Was Polish for good riddance. Um... I'm a, I mean, I have to admit, I, I didn't think much of the FA Cup thing at the time because, you know, you quite often rotate players and I think Jack Stevens took his place and and I don't think there's much difference between the two of them, to be honest. So I wasn't that bothered about it, but I mean, Steve was bothered about it. And, it. and he was right. He was he was dead right because, you know, to, to, um, to, to dip out of an FA Cup quarterfinal because you've got a playoff game, and when I started thinking about it, I was thinking, what's he going to be like in the build-up to the World Cup? You know, the actual World Cup, now they've qualified, you know. So is he going to sack off the four or five games before that because he's, you know. Um, and apart from all that, he'd been absolute rubbish for a year. I mean, he's he's gone from, I think, I can't remember who, I can't remember who wrote it, but someone talked about him being a, like a front foot defender. Get away. There's two pictures for me that sum up the transfers this week. There's the one of Romeo that kept getting shared of him shouting at Jack Grealish on the floor, which kind of sums up him as a player. And then yep. there's the one, that final image of Bednarek, which we're all going to remember of him just sat on the bench with his head in his hands after he's been taken yeah. off. It was the Leeds game, wasn't it? And that's, you know, that's good riddance as well, I think. I think um, some, pe- some people naturally reach the end of the line and, and that's what's happened with him. And, and his, his statement was one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen for a player who's only left online. It's going to be coming back in May. Yeah, of course he is, because they're going to see him. They're going to see him play, so they're yeah. not going to sign him. Um, but they might they might not see him play because I noticed he didn't play against um, against City. Um, Gosh, can, can you imagine him up against Haaland? Yeah, but they, they've they've brought him in as a cover centre half, so it wouldn't surprise me if he sits on the bench every week. So I um, I don't think it's going to be as rosy as he may be. Um, thinks it's going to be at his bigger club there is one other thing um just jacob and alfie i don't know if either you want to just talk about this but the rumors or the story that chelsea wanting to sign lavia on deadline day with this 50 million verbal proposal what on earth is all that about it's crazy isn't it i mean that's what it was described to us jake when it was described as it was crazy in the, in the office when they probably heard about that and um, you know a verbal proposal so not necessarily fully concrete but i think it's testament to everything that he's done in the first six weeks and Equally testament to Chelsea's transfer policy, which is probably nothing short of shambolic at the moment. Four, is it four games he's played, and they're like, "Oh, yeah, fifteen mm, five years, incredible." Yeah, um, and, and I'm not, I'm not even sure that they could even have done that deal they, anyway because the FIFA registration thing you've you can only be registered to two clubs, can't you? In in the space of a year, yeah, um, you can only, you can on, only on play for basis. you can only play for two clubs across a year. But obviously, yeah, he hadn't played for Man City. I don't, I don't imagine he was necessarily registered for this season yeah. if they knew they were going to offload him so I think they could have got around that way but but yeah it's a crazy one I mean I don't know what Jacob wants to add on it do you happen to know if it was before the game or after the game it was on deadline it was deadline day so I think they looked at the goal and thought I'll tell you what we we do need a midfielder he's right Jorginho's getting you know he's getting slow lost his cheeks not really holding a midfielder who's this guy Kante's always injured who's this guy (laughs) just imagine Todd Burley just sitting near Martin Simmons just going who's this guy can we can we have a look at him and um 
Well, yeah. well, and he's about half the price of Declan Rice as it, well. It's like me doing my fantasy football team. It kind of feels how it is at the moment. Um, just last one on the transfers. Jacob, do you think there's going to be any more? I mean, you mentioned the potential um, for someone like Redmond going to Turkey. Yeah. Do you think there's any more work to be done? Any more outgoings in the next couple of weeks? What's different between Theo Walker and Nathan Redmond is that Theo Walker's quite happy to stay and he's happy to, um, you know, try and get himself involved, get himself in the mix. He understands that he's probably a bit far, you know, behind the pecking order because of the injuries he's had, because of the form as well. But I think he's, you know, he, of course, if opportunity did come, which was West Brom, and then he realised his wages, you know, that he, he would have thought about it, but he wasn't too desperate. You'll set Glenn <laughs> off again. He wasn't too desperate. Where Nathan <laughs> Redman, I think, you know, his his issues are a little bit more pressing as well. So I do, I, it's probably likely he does go to Turkey, but of course that's, you know, a lot's got to be sorted out in the coming days. It's the place to be at the moment. Place to be. Brentford, next, back in January. Uh, this was the first game under the new owners. Of course, Southampton winning 4-1, but they turned us over in the reverse fixture in May. Steve, they've had a great result against Manchester United. Less good against Fulham, but a good win against Leeds. It's going to be a tricky game against Brentford. Yeah, they're not the um, they're not the side on the downward spiral that, that they were when they came to St Mary's last season, that's for sure. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're a different side, but at the same time, their performances at home aren't quite being matched by their performances on the road so far this season. So that's kind of, that's probably got to be our angle that, that their, their shape away from home doesn't seem to quite be working, working out for them. They got a point at Leicester on the opening day, I think, coming from two down. But other than that, they obviously lost at Fulham. I think that's it so far away from home, isn't it? They've not been, not been great on the road, but at home they look, um, they look very good. Ivan Tony's in in good form again, but now we now we have a, a centre back partnership who both seem to be willing to get their hands dirty. With a bit of luck, uh, we don't get bullied by him again. So that that gives us that gives us sort of one out route, if you like. Obviously, no Christian Eriksen anymore, but they've signed uh, Mikkel Damsgaard, who's I mean also Danish and plays a very similar role. So again, it's it's cut off the supply for for, for Brentford, and then theoretically they can't hurt you. And then it's about going to the way where I think defensively they're probably still a little bit suspect. Yeah, um, Glenn, obviously we're going to have to keep Ivan Tony quiet. I think they've scored 15 goals this season and we've not kept a clean sheet. So um, it could, could be an interesting game. Could be some goals. Uh, it could be some goals. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 in theory, you look at it and say it will be. Uh, it could be a fairly high scoring game. But uh, I think their best signing has been Ben Mee. To be honest, to play in the to play in the centre of defence, he's the sort of player that you know many thought that we should go for to um to kind of shore up the defense while we when we were sort of looking at an, an average average age of about 20 at the start of the season but uh but Ben Mee's done well for them um other signings have come in and improved the team as well I quite like the look of the right back they've signed uh, I've forgotten his name Hickey Aaron Hickey he looks he looks fairly yeah he looks fairly decent as Steve said Damsgaard has been mainly a sub at the moment but he's he's a useful player as well so uh Thomas, I would say Thomas Frank is probably my favourite manager out of the. Uh, I just just like the way he goes about things and the way he carries himself, and he's he's got an element of mad professor about him. He's not going to give you bland sort of sound bites. He's uh, I, I always find him quite interesting to listen to, and they they seem to have replaced. You know, Christian Eriksen was their sort of main player last year. They seem to have replaced him, and they've they've changed all back four as well. Whereas I think most of last season they were um, they were three or five at the back. So. Uh, Unlike um, unlike Wolves and Chelsea, I've got nothing, uh, no animosity towards Brentford. And after we played them on Saturday, they can do as well as they like. And Jacob, do you think we're going to set up with the same team that finished against Wolves? Uh, I think I think it'd be a bit risky. I think you'd get hit in the carrot <laughs> for fun, actually. Um, I, 
I think it's really important. I keep saying that like, Southampton do find that sense of consistency. Uh, the only change is perhaps Eddie Nussi for Armstrong, Diallo, Maitland-Niles, even, I know, a lot of criticism of Gineppo, but I actually quite, I've liked him at left-back. But um, I think what Ralph was saying on Thursday is that he now sees Musa going back to left wing uh, with Larios and Perot fit. So I probably expect Diallo and perhaps Elianusi coming out of the team. Alfie, for you, how do we get three points out of this one? Is it about some of those new signings having a bit of an impact? Yeah, I don't know how we get three points out of this one, otherwise I'd be managing myself. But one thing I will be looking for is I'll, I'll look to see how different the first eleven is to the one that went to Brentford in, in May, because that was obviously a very poignant moment of the season last year and the, sort of the way that derailed very quickly and then descended into you know, a nightmare to be to be truthful the first time that we heard Ralph Hasn't all um, received that kind of criticism from his own fans. So I'll look at the eleven, I'll see how many of the players are still in that team. I find that interesting. I think it's gonna be a good game. Like I said, I am hoping there'll be goals. I'm gonna be two one or three two, but yeah, I mean I d I don't if I knew how to to win those sort of games, I'd probably wouldn't be doing this right now. I'd be doing You'd be any more money. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we did mock you last week, Glenn, but you were the only one to correctly get the, the Chelsea score right. Producer Alex got the Wolves score right, annoyingly. Uh, although, Jacob, you did say that Che would score. So that's kind of, you know, half a point. Um, I'm going to come to you first, uh, Glenn, for your prediction for, for Brentford. Uh, I'm going to go with exactly the same scoreline as I went for in the um, in the Chelsea game. I, I fancy us to... Yeah, I, fancy, I, I still feel there's a lot of positivity about us, despite yesterday's result and we'll, we'll go into that game with the right with the right mindset Brentford's dodgy away form so I'll go 2-1 for us Steve yeah central midfield does worry me without Lavia I do appreciate that's on the strength of one ninety minutes against arguably the best midfield outside the top six but yeah I just want I just worry that we we're going to leave a lot of space so I do kind of wonder we if we might be sort of offering too little protection for the back four. So, yeah, goals, but two all. Two all, right. I'm going to go, uh, OK. Uh, Alfie? Yeah, I'm going to have to uh, copy Glenn on this one if he got it right last time. And uh, I think it'd be a 2-1 win to Saints. 2-1. And Jacob, what are you saying? I've got no reason for this, but I just think because I'm going to kept a clean sheet in 13 games, they're bound to keep one soon. So I'm going to go comfortable 2-0 win. Do you know, I've gone 2-0 as well. And I don't know why. I've just sat here and read that they've scored 15 goals and we haven't kept yeah. a clean sheet. But for Morons. some reason... Got... <laughs> uh, I do have some good news. Mark's just posted to say that Nice have completed the signing of uh, Ross Barkley. So that unfortunately means that we won't have to read any more of those Twitter rumours, if that's true. So uh, thank you for the thank you for the breaking transfer update, Mark. It was a week off for the women's team this week. They're back at St Mary's on Sunday lunchtime with Durham, the visitors. That's pretty much it for this week. Don't forget, you can follow Total Saints Podcast on Facebook, on Twitter. It's at Total Saints Pod. On our website, totalsaints.co.uk, there's a link on there to our online shop, which is the Total Saints icon. And you can drop us an email during the week as well. So if there's anything you want to comment on about the transfers that have come in, then do get in touch during the week because we love hearing from you. Uh, we're also on Patreon, where you can support the podcast with a monthly contribution. That's patreon.com forward slash Total Saints Podcast. Four different tiers on there. Uh, each with their own perks. Some of them include some weekly shouts at the end of the pod, uh, including Dave Melton, Mark Atkins, Matt Hall, who are in our Francis Benali tier, and Colt Baker, Dave Ernsberger, Ed Busy, Nick Higston, Phil Cook, Matt Rose, and Nick Reed, who are in our Mick Shannon tier. Uh, thank you, Steve. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you, Jacob. Thank you, Alfie. I hope you have a good week. Thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you again soon next week. The Talksport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. 
there's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.